Give us a king that we may be like the nations round about us. Was what the children of Israel said to Samuel. Samuel took that great clamor of the people and was deeply disturbed by it. And he went to God with it. And God said, Samuel, it's not you they have rejected, but it is me that I should not rule over them. The children of Israel wanted kings, and when God said, go ahead and let them have their king, but he said, I want you to tell the people plainly what will be the way of the kings, how that they will take your children and make them their servants and their slaves. They will take the produce of your land. They will take the crops, the fields. They will take a number of things so that they can serve as king over you. It's so sad because God was a perfect leader and they exchanged the perfection for imperfection. And God gave them Saul. Last Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we explored the life of Saul and all the failures that were a part of his life. Lord willing, this morning and perhaps tonight, we will study the life of David. And David was also a failure, not complete, but he was like every other man. He wasn't perfect, and he made mistakes. And there's value in our looking at this from two or three different perspectives. There's the value of our realizing that no one is better than God. No one who's ever walked the face of this earth other than our Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. There will be no person who will go through life and make no mistakes whatsoever. As we begin our study of David, I'd like to begin by talking about sometimes otherwise good people make horrible decisions. I'd like for you to think about your own life. I believe most of us who are here today are here because we want to be here. We chose to come. We want to worship the God of heaven. We want to do what is right. But have you, like me, made some really horrible decisions? When I go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, God is talking about how he is going to choose the successor to Saul. The sons of Jesse were paraded before Samuel, but we learn from Samuel the Lord has not chosen him. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I'd suggest to you that that along with Acts 13 and verse 22 that Brother Shannon just read a few moments ago, he said, He is a man after my own heart. God called David, a man after his own heart. But yet, when I go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Even when you choose the very best of us, like David, you recognize he makes mistakes, he has sins, and you and I do. 
And sometimes we allow those sins to dominate our lives. Well, what we want to do is we will look at David as a perfect example of a man struggling with the sins, the temptations of the flesh. Yes, he wants to serve God. He wants to do what is right. But it seems as if there are always little stumbling blocks that are coming along that make life difficult. And so we will look at three things in our lesson this morning and perhaps, and I keep saying perhaps because I don't know how time will go. So we're going to talk about the digressions of David. And that's the proper word. To digress means to get off of the proper path. God had set a path for David. He had told him how to live, what to do, and yet David digressed. He got off of that path more than once. Number two, we want to talk about the determination to correct. Here's a great distinction between Saul and David. Saul made mistakes... But Saul lived with those mistakes. David made mistakes. David sinned. And David was determined to make things right. He repented. And insofar as possible, David tried to correct the mistakes that he had made in his life. And then number three is dealing with the consequences. And folks, here's where I think that maybe we need to slow down and think about it because even a person who is forgiven has to deal with the consequences of sin even after the forgiveness. So let's take a few moments now to talk about the digressions of David. You see, God had a design. He had a life that he wanted David to live. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God has a life that he wants you to live? He does. He wants you to not sin. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write unto you that you may not sin. And yet if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, God wants every one of us to do the right thing, to live the right way, to say the right words, to always be a good example, but here's the reality. We all digress. We all go astray, if you will. As you start thinking about the specific ones, what I'm going to do is just take us through First and Second Samuel as we look at the life of David. And we're going to see some of the digressions and the first one is very early on. And as I prepare your minds to understand what we're going to talk about here, a failure to respect God's order, let me tell you the way David was thinking. David was looking at the nation of Israel and he wanted it to focus on God. He wanted to build God a house, a permanent house, not to, to dwell in a tent. He wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He wanted there to be a place where God's people would come to and it would be a, a permanent place, a place where they could come together and offer God worship and devotion and the sacrifices. 
And David was enthused with it to the point when it finally does come into Jerusalem, he's dancing, just twirling about, so excited that the Ark of the Covenant is coming to Jerusalem. But I want to take you to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 7, and then we'll look at verses 9 through 12. As David prepares to bring the Ark of the Covenant, we learn that they carried the Ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. I could spend a little bit more background time, but to explain to you that this is a new cart. David is not trying to show disrespect to the Ark of the Covenant. He has a good heart. But in his enthusiasm, he says, let's make a new cart, let's put the Ark of the Covenant on it, and let's take these two men and let them bring that Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. But you drop down to verse 9, and when they came to Kidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the Ark, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the Ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, they call the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? You see, what happens is Uzzah puts out his hand, and just as he touches that ark, he dies. And God's not happy, God's angry. Not only is God angry, David's angry. Look at verse 11. But when you get to verse 12, not only is David angry, but David is afraid now. He's afraid for a couple of things. He realizes he's dealing with a God who will not just take anything. And he's afraid of God because God will break forth and demand an exact punishment. You don't mess around with God. But he's also afraid that the Ark of the Covenant is never going to come to Jerusalem. That his goal, that his aspirations will not be fulfilled. Now I want you to go with me to chapter 15 and verse 13. In retrospect, as I look back at this event, they're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, but they're going to do it differently this time. And here's what it says, For because you did not do it, The first time the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. We didn't do it right. You see, God had commanded that that ark be transported on the shoulders of the Levites. And that's not the way they did it. Now, this was a sin for David. David recognized that he had not followed the proper order. Now, folks, for just a moment, when you think about us and we have a heart of love for God and we want to pour out that heart, we want to express our devotion to God, pause for just a moment. Our enthusiasm must be tempered by a careful observance of God's plan or God's order. 
So many people today say, oh, I've got a talent for this. I've got a talent for that. And I want to express it to God because I love Him. Just because you want to do it doesn't make it right. Just because you have a feeling in your heart of how you would like to express it. You see, David's mistake, David's sin, if you will, was not motivated by ill will. It was motivated by lack of being careful. And when we as God's people gather together and we worship God and we offer our devotion to Him, God expects us to pause and ask the question, is this what God wants? Is this the way God wants it? David's first mistake was failing to appreciate and respect God's order. The second one was David practiced situation ethics. If you'll turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, and then we'll parallel that with Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is on the run from Saul. Saul's hunting him like an animal. And David has been going from this place to this place trying to find safe haven, if you will. He and the men who are with him are basically having to live hand to mouth. And we get there to chapter 21, and Samuel says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, why are you alone and why is no one with you? So David said to him like the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women, and then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread but the showbread which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day in which it was taken away. Now, I want you to think about what David did. He arrived, and Ahimelech is suspicious. Why are you here by yourself? If David, the king's son-in-law, is a man of valor, why are you by yourself? Where's your entourage? Why all this secrecy? Ahimelech's suspicious. David lies to him. David tells him he's been sent on a mission 
by Saul, but Saul didn't send him. David, in fact, is running from Saul. And David lies to Ahimelech, but then he comes back and he says, we need bread, and the priest responds, we don't have any common bread. All we have is the holy bread. Now, when you look at verse 5, you may get the idea that David's saying, well, the holy bread's not really holy anyway. It's, it's common because it's been removed. But that's not what the priest said. Verse 6, the priest gave him the holy bread. And in David's mind, it's all right. In David's mind, because we're hungry, it's all right for us to eat the holy bread. Do you see, when I go to Matthew chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest? See, here's a problem. David lies, he eats holy bread with the idea, well, it's okay just this time. Let me ask you a question. Do we ever rationalize and justify our sins by saying, well, you just have to understand the circumstances. This is what happened, and so that makes it okay. No, it doesn't. David sin. Jesus said what he ate was unlawful for him. It was only for the priest. Either you respect the law or you do not respect it. And he practiced situation ethics, which I am fearful that a lot of people believe anything that violates God's law is all right as long as the situation demands it. But you see, that's where humans fail to respect God's divine order. Number three, David intended to murder a fool. If you'll go with me now to chapter 25, and this is a rather extended reading, and I may have to summarize some of this, but there's several verses in chapter 25 that I believe draws out the meaning. By way of background, David's still on the run from Saul. And David is going up into that area which is near the Jezreel Valley. And David is trying to get, again, provisions for him and his men. And he is going to approach a man by the name of Nabal. Look at verses 10 through 13. He goes to Nabal and he asks for Provisions for food. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There's so many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men were turned on their heels and went back and came and told him all these words. 
Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. You know why they girded their swords on? We're going to go kill Nabal. If you drop down with me now to verse 17. When you get to verse 17... It's a description of the nature of Nabal. Now therefore know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. I want to tell you, Nabal is not a nice man. He's a mean man if you really want to know the truth. He is so mean that nobody can even talk to him. You can't even communicate with him. You can't reason with him. He's just harsh and hard to get along with. You drop down to verse 21, and David is going to rationalize and justify in his mind what he plans to do with him. David said, Surely in vain I have protected all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Latter part of verse 22, he says, David says, we're going to kill him. Not only are we going to kill Nabal, we're going to kill every male. That's in his family. That's what David is determined. Drop down with me now to verse 25. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. You see, Abigail is saying, my husband, his name is Nabal, and that's properly named. He's a fool. Verse 32, Abigail's intercession, the fact that she prepared provisions and provided them for David and his men. David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your vice and blessed are you because you kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David said, Abigail, you are a really smart woman because you kept me from killing people today. But I think verse 39 draws the point that I want to make. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal. Now listen carefully to the last phrase. And has kept his servant from evil. See, David had in his mind, I'm going to kill Nabal. I'm going to take his life. But due to Abigail's wise intercession and God's, David did not get to kill him. Now, I want to tell you, we all deal with harsh, mean, foolish people. But that doesn't mean we have the right to kill them doesn't mean that we have the right to do them or their families harm. You see, sometimes we're like David. Somebody insults us. 
David was insulted. And David determined in his mind, I am going to respond not only in like kind, I'm going to respond in worse kind. I'm going to teach this man a lesson. You don't oppose me. You don't stand against me. Thankfully, there was a good woman named Abigail who stood in and said, David, don't do that. And David did not. Next is perhaps the thing that you remember David for the most. I wouldn't minimize those things that had gone before, but there's a very sad situation that occurs in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Beginning with verse 1, going through verse 4. It happened in the spring of the year. At the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening as David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. David committed adultery. He was a married man. She was a married woman. What he did was sinful and wrong. And David did more than just one thing wrong. David, first of all, was a person leering, peering, if you will, at the woman who was undressed. And lust was created in his heart. We're going to talk about that as as it develops in just a moment. But I want you to notice Job 31 and verse 1. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? I've made a covenant. I've made an agreement. I've made a promise. I've made a vow. You see, when you become and you are a child of God, you recognize there's some things you just don't do. You don't look at someone else's exposed body, and lust after that. And yes, that happens today. Pornography is a real problem in our country. And it's become a real problem among many people. Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Matthew 5, verse 28, Jesus said, Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. David, before he sent for Bathsheba, had that lust in his heart. And James describes it very well in James 1, verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's a logical progression that takes place. You first have the temptation. Temptation's not sin. 
But then you have desire conceived in the heart. You have a wish. And then when it gives birth to sin, that sin begins to develop and it brings forth death. And it did in the life of David and Bathsheba. Solomon perhaps could look back and realize and say, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. David really destroyed his life for that momentary pleasure. From that, David tried to hide his sin. David tried to put it where nobody else could find out about it. Because you see, Bathsheba was with child. And so David conceived a plan in his mind. Here's how I'm going to hide it. I'm going to bring Uriah home from the battlefront and I'm going to have him to go to his house and make him think that that is his child that he has conceived. When you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, and I can see I'm going to have to summarize this. What takes place after she tells David, I am with child, David has Uriah brought in from the battlefront and says, how's the battle going? Why don't you go down to your house, take a bath, enjoy yourself for a little bit. But what took place, if you go on, is he did not go to his house, but he slept by the gate of the king's house. Well, that didn't work. So what he does, he gets him drunk and tries to get him to go down to his house. And you know what? He did not go down to his house. Trying to cover it up didn't work. You see, here's the problem. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 said, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy so here's the problem that most people have. They start lift up the rug and they sweep their dirt up under the rug. Next thing you know, they have a little more dirt. And they pick the rug up and they sweep more dirt. Next thing you know, you've got your mountain up under your rug. David's got a mountain up under his rug. He's trying to cover it up. And somebody comes in and sees the big hump in your rug and lifts it up and says, Oh, look at all this dirt. David's going to be exposed for the sin that he's tried to hide. Proverbs 32, 2 and 3. Blessed is a man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, and through my groaning all the day long. David looked at himself and he says, it hurt me to try to hide things. You know what happens to people who try to hide their sin? Guilt starts eating them up. Because they're constantly trying to keep people from learning what it is they're doing and how they're trying to live. Well, from that, David committed murder. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 9, And he wrote letters saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Really? Verse 9 of chapter 12, Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. 
more than one problem here. Uriah was a good soldier, served David loyally, and he did not deserve to die. Obviously, you know I'm not done. I'll pick up tonight with David numbering the people and then we'll talk about his desire to correct and then the consequences that are going to follow. But I think I have made enough of a point this morning in our lesson in the study of David to realize that even people who love God and want to do what is right sometimes succumb to temptation. And in doing so, they've sinned. And people who have sinned need forgiveness. And God offers it. He offers it through His Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Matthew 11, verse 29 says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like the song we sing, burdens are lifted at Calvary. If you need to be forgiven of your sins, become a New Testament Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins and confessing that faith and being baptized, or if you are a child of God and needs to come back home, that's what this time, this opportunity is for. And we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.